Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. Uh, the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. I want to ask you to do something before we start this message. Would you just sit up real straight and take a real deep breath, like the deepest breath you've taken all day? Isn't it funny how something that simple can just make you relax and feel a little more alive? It's an amazing thing when you think about it, just breathing. Uh, There are people in certain fields, uh, singing is one, uh, some sports like swimming. They spend a lot of time just learning how to breathe right. Great coaches in these fields say, most of us are pretty sloppy at breathing. And for maximum performance, their their students actually practice how to become world-class breathers. Well, the truth is breathing is actually very important to you and me because if we did not breathe, what happens? We die. Like that's a very important truth. Left to ourselves, it's literally true that what's inside of us would kill us. So there's this real important principle if you want to live. Breathe. It's just that simple. We produce toxic stuff and we have to get rid of it so we have to breathe out and then we constantly need to receive that which gives life so we have to breathe in breathe out breathe in now i want to talk to you today about what might be called spiritual breathing a number of people for many centuries people who are much more spiritually mature than i am have talked about this idea of spiritual breathing in biblical languages both in hebrew in the old testament and greek in the new testament the same word is used for spirit that is used for the word breath in hebrew it's the word ruah and so i want to i want you to think for a moment about the very first time a human being breathe because that's actually recorded in scripture in genesis 2 7 the writer says then the lord god formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being or a living soul now why does god do it this way like breathing into his nostrils is an interesting image like why doesn't god snap his fingers or say a word it would have been much more hygienic I mean, he's God. He could have done it however he wanted. Well, the writer of Genesis apparently wants us to understand that God's desire is not just that this man's body be filled with oxygen. Uh, The text doesn't say man became animated tissue. It says man became a living soul, a spiritual being filled with God's own breath, God's spirit, and God breathed into the man, God's ruah. This is the Spirit of God at work in the Old Testament. One scholar scholar put it like this, when the Old Testament refers to the Spirit of God, life is intended because vitality, aliveness, is the essence of spirit, especially of the Spirit of God. In the Old Testament, where the Spirit is present, there is life. 
In one of David's great Psalms, Psalm 104, he's speaking of all living things. He says this, when you take away their breath, their ruah, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the earth. This is the, the spirit at work. It's no accident, even in English, when we uh, see a creature, a horse, for instance, which has a fierce sense of life, we'll say it's a, a spirited creature, you know, wild and untamed, filled with energy and power. Sometimes we'll talk about a spirited child, wild and untamed, and when we're drawn to that, especially when it's someone else's child. But one of the things we love is a human being who has this deep sense of vitality, a fierce hunger for life, who's just fully alive. Now, because of sin, sometimes human beings distort this hunger for life or pursue it in foolish, twisted ways. But make no mistake about it, from the beginning, this aliveness is a gift of the Spirit of God. And the truth is, wherever the Spirit of God is fully present, there is this deep, electric, mysterious sense of being alive. This is why in, in, in uh, Romans 8.2, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of life because the Spirit breathes life. This is why in John 7.38, Jesus says, whoever believes in me, whoever trusts in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Think about the parched land in which Jesus lived, like what would that mean? Like what would a life look like out of which rivers of living water flow? And John goes on to say, by this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given. You see, human beings, you and me, were created to live in dependence on God to be fully alive. And for a while, that's exactly what happened. It was like spiritual breathing, like being filled with spiritual life. But then sin came and the result of sin was death, living in dependence on the spirit of God, which had once been as automatic as breathing was now lost and the result was spiritual death. However, the spirit does not give up. The Holy Spirit continued to engage with the human race. You know, I was talking with uh, a woman who heard that we were going to do this series, and her question was, where is the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament? Is the Holy Spirit involved in the Old Testament? Well, the phrase, the Spirit of the Lord, Ruah, is mentioned over two dozen passages in the Old Testament. At certain key times, the Spirit of God would come upon particular individuals and breathe life into them. He would call them and equip them and uh, empower them and use them. So today, I want to spend some time looking at the Holy Spirit's presence and ministry in the Old Testament, and then look at how that led up to Pentecost, and then what that means for you and me. Now, primarily, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament involves giving human beings, uh, certain people at certain times in certain places, capacities beyond their own limited abilities. He would enhance their insights and their strengths so that they could perform great works to serve God's redemptive purposes. For example, the Holy Spirit would come and give guidance to people in the Old Testament. 
When Moses led the children of Israel, there was a, a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. That was the Spirit leading the people. David says in 2 Samuel 23, the Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever said the wrong thing? Or you know someone who has? Imagine being able to say what David said, the Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. David was the leader. David was the king. And he said these words as he was dying. You know, at a moment like that, if you were to say the wrong words, I mean, it could be devastating for the whole community, for, the, for all of God's people. I mean, the, the leader's dying words don't get forgotten. And David stops for a moment, and I expect he breathes out all of the fear and worry that would have been in his, in his body in a moment like that. And he breathes in wisdom and guidance from the Spirit of God, and he speaks, and it's just right. At the very beginning of what he says, in his dying breath, he says, the Spirit of the Lord was upon me. His word was in my mouth. Another thing in the Old Testament, the Spirit of the Lord would come upon individuals and give them supernatural strength and courage. One example is in Judges 15, 14, where uh, Samson is facing his enemies, the Philistines, who have done horrible things to him and to the people of Israel. And this is what the text says. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power, and he grabbed the jawbone of a donkey and struck down a thousand men. The Spirit of the Lord gave him supernatural strength and courage. The Spirit does the same thing to a Gideon, where an angel of the Lord appears to him and says, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior, and fills Gideon with tremendous courage. And the writer of Scripture talks about the, the Spirit being present, resting on Gideon. The same thing happened to Saul. If you ever study the life of King Saul, there are a number of evidences that uh, he felt quite inadequate. When Samuel says that he's going to become king, his response is, but I'm from like the smallest tribe, like I'm a Benjamite, and I'm from the smallest clan in my tribe. Samuel says in 1 Samuel 10:6, the spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you and you will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into a different person. And for a time, that was true. Saul breathed out his fear and inadequacy and breathed in, and he was given strength, as was Samuel and Gideon. Another ministry of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament is giftedness. Uh, in Exodus 31, God is uh, giving Moses instructions about the construction of the tabernacle or what was called the, the tent of meeting. This is a very important place. Uh, this is going to be the place where Israel would gather together for worship. People would see this place and be reminded that God lived in their presence. So this is a, a very important place. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. Now, Bezalel was a master craftsman, and we don't talk about uh, the gift of craftsmanship too much in our day, but it's right there in Exodus 31. 
My wife is praying that the Spirit would fill me with just a little bit of this gift so that I can get some work done on our house. God made Bezalel to be a craftsman. And now, at this critical time, he sends his spirit to this craftsman. Like he was like the Home Depot guy in the Old Testament. God sends his spirit to him. Bezalel was going to be the one charged to design and construct, to, to oversee the construction of the tent of meeting. Now imagine that assignment is handed to you. Like you're in charge of constructing a place that is going to be worthy of God and will remind the people of God of his wonder and goodness. Imagine the anxiety that would produce in a human being. I imagine Bezalel thinking like, how can I be worthy of doing that? But he stops and he takes a breath and God sends his spirit uh, to inspire, to, to breathe into him. And he finds his mind filled with ideas and designs, wonderful plans so that when the people see the tent of meeting, they'll go, wow. And we'll be reminded of God's presence and God's goodness and God's splendor and God's beauty. A parenthetical thought for a moment for us as a community. Uh, I was thinking about this this week. We're right at this stage in the life of our church. Like we're in the final stages of constructing what's going to be our new tent of meeting. Like we're going to have a new tent of meeting in just a few months. And we're going to gather in it to worship God. And I want you to know, God has done it again. He has sent his spirit to be at work in some Bezalels, like some architects and construction workers and audio and lighting engineers and interior design people. God has inspired them to do some amazing work. And I just have to say, I'm so grateful for uh, Joe Hartley's leadership in all of it. And I'm so grateful that Judy Kensing has been willing to volunteer to use her gift of design and for the hours upon hours of what must seem like a full-time job for the last eight to 10 months to oversee the construction of our tent of meeting. And because we're in a business park, you know, people will drive by and they're going to go to buildings devoted to mostly selling stuff or making money, you know, restaurants or offices. And my hope and my prayer is that when our tent of meeting is done and people see it, you know, people driving past on Valley Avenue or on Cole Center Parkway, that it just stirs in them a, a longing. There's some longing inside of them that just gets stirred. And I think about the first Sunday that we're going to gather in that building and we'll reflect on the sacrifices we've made, you and I, to make it possible and the people we're going to be able to reach and the moments we're going to share. I think we're all going to look around and go, wow, and be reminded of God's presence and God's goodness in the tent of meeting. And I just want to ask you, if you live in this area, would you plan on worshiping with us in person? when we move into our new tent of meeting? Well, the Spirit breathes inspiration, wisdom, and beauty and plans into a craftsman. The Spirit of God was not distant in the Old Testament. He was at work equipping and guiding and strengthening and transforming. But there was a problem. The ministry of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament was limited. 
Uh, in the Old Testament, the, the coming of the Spirit on someone's life could be a temporary thing. Uh, the most tragic example of this is with Saul, when Saul was visited by the Spirit of God. But then we're told in 1 Samuel 16 that because of his disobedience, now the Spirit of Lord, the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. Also in the Old Testament, the Spirit came only on a select few individuals, not on everyone. The ministry of the Spirit was uh, mediated by certain priests or rulers, not experienced directly by most individuals. And this was a frustrating thing. In Numbers 11, there's a story where the people of Israel are in in the Exodus and the Spirit comes upon some of the elders just one time and then he departs. And there are two men in the community with kind of odd names, Eldad and Medad. Uh, They sound like 50s beatniks or something, but they're Eldad and Medad. And the Spirit comes upon them and they continue to prophesy for some time. And Joshua, who's number two, hears about this and Joshua is not happy about this. He says to Moses, Moses, there are two men and they're prophesying, stop them. And of course, Moses is the, you know, the only one who's uh, experienced this, where the Spirit of God rests on him and he's able to do this kind of thing. So the Spirit doesn't rest on Joshua. So Moses can be with God and speak for God. And Joshua is the number two guy and he sees other people doing this stuff and that he can't do. And he says, wait, 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 Moses, make them stop. And this is what Moses says in Numbers 11. Are you jealous for my sake? This is one of the, the, one of the greatest statements in the Old Testament. Moses says this, I wish that all of the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. You see, it's Moses who was special, who was unique. And it would have been so tempting if I were Moses to want to be able to, the only one that the Spirit did that kind of thing through was so I could be special. Moses doesn't do that. It's part of his greatness. He says, I wish everyone had the Spirit. I wish the Spirit was just poured out on the whole community. You see, this became kind of a, a hope, kind of a dream. The great prayer of Israel became that one day God might pour his Spirit out on everyone. And then God said it would be so one day. This is what God said in Joel 2.28. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. God says, the day is coming when it will happen. And I will pour out my spirit on everyone in the community, all people, everyone with re- without regard to uh, social rank or status, uh, not only sons, but also daughters who were often despised in that day for both young and old, both men and women. It became the great dream of the people of Israel for the Spirit of God to be poured out and not just on a few and not just for a time, but on every one of God's people for every moment of their lives from the time they trusted him to the moment they died. That was the dream of the people of God. And that is what in fact happened in human history on the day of Pentecost. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment. The Holy Spirit gives you both power and ability. We're equipped with the tools and talents and gifts to walk out our journey. The Holy Spirit's a constant presence in our life. Like he's in it for the long haul with us. 
And one of the challenges for me is not always being super aware of the Spirit's presence. Although there are times his presence is so clear, I'm just compelled to follow his leading. And I wish it was always that direct, but it, it's not always that way though. I also think it's important to note that we have the choice whether or not to accept the Spirit's leading and guidance. When we know the will of God but don't follow it, then we're resisting the Spirit's work in our lives, and our decision to ignore His leading grieves Him. Throughout our lives, we're going to be challenged to follow His leading or we're going to go our own way. It's not always easy, but let me just say it's always worth it. At least I've found that to be true in my own life. You know, one of the most common questions is how do we know the Holy Spirit's voice? And it's different for each one of us, but we become more familiar with His voice by focusing on God's Word, listening to God's people, and by listening in prayer. He'll meet you there. He will. And the more we do these things, the more familiar we become with His voice. All right, let's rejoin Matt as he talks to us about Pentecost. All right, so the Holy Spirit was poured out on every one of God's people for every moment of their lives. And it happened on a day of Pentecost. And we talked about this last week. You know, fire descended from heaven, only this time, instead of it being just a, a pillar of fire, which had guided Israel as a group for a long time, this time the fire separated and became tongues of fire that rested on each individual. Because now the Spirit was going to go to every person who was a part of God's community. And Jesus says this remarkable thing after the resurrection in the locked room with his disciples, John 20. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them. Now, what Old Testament passage does that remind you of? Genesis 2-7. In fact, the verb that John uses there to say Jesus breathed on them is used only there in all of the New Testament. I mean, it's the only time it's used. It's quite a rare verb. It was also used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament in Genesis 2-7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. You see, John wants us to understand that before God descended to earth, he got down on his knees and breathed into human beings and they became living souls. And what God did to a lump of clay and some dry bones, God will do for you. God has done for his people. Jesus says to his friends in that room, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you, but you can't go on your own power. That would never work. First, you've got to work on your breathing. And so I want to ask you, to work on your breathing this week. Tomorrow morning, when you wake up, spend some time in prayer and let your breathing be a reminder. You know, Father, there are things inside of me that will kill my spirit if they remain. And so I just want to exhale them. Here's the guilt over sin that I need to confess. I know someone who was gripped by sin for decades, uh, not months, not years, but decades. And he woke up, he was awakened at one o'clock in the morning with a real strong prompting to pray. And he said in his prayer that it was kind of like his life was a house and God wanted to show him the whole house, including this room that housed this habit of his that he couldn't get rid of. And he said to God, I'm so ashamed of this. He never talked to God about this. 
And he said it was like God was saying to him, show me. And he did. And as he talked about this, he was just weeping, talking about it. He talked about how difficult it was to talk openly with God about this habit that he was so ashamed of and felt so enslaved by. And then he said it was as if God was saying to him, I love you. I know all about that. And I love you. And I will help you. And he said in 30 years of following Christ, he had never received grace like he did on that night when he just breathed out all of the guilt and self-loathing and disgust. And he breathed in the mercy and the grace of God. And that wasn't the end of his struggle with that habit, but it was the beginning of the end. And it set him up on a road that led to real healing. Breathe out and breathe in. And that's life. Now, a real important part of this process in prayer, as you go to do this, is to take a few moments just to listen to God. You know, take some time to breathe out before him. God, I have this problem. I have this habit. I have this concern. I have these things that I'm worried about. Tell him all that. And then stop and listen. Now, in my experience of talking with people, very often this is the place where we cut ourselves off from the ministry of the Holy Spirit because we have a problem. And let me put it to you in the form of a question. Do you know anyone who talks too much? It doesn't listen well. I want to tell you something, and this is kind of personal. Uh, I think there are times in prayer when if God would say anything to me, it would be, Matt, would you stop talking and listen? You know, I'm glad you've come to me and I'm glad you've told me your problems and concerns and you pour out your heart to me, but would you just sit still and listen for a while? Because I have some things that I need to say to you, but you won't hear them because you won't be silent. There's one last passage of scripture that I want to mention in this regard. It's Ephesians 6.18, where Paul has been talking about the armor of God, and he's uh, coming to the conclusion of that section. And he says, and pray in the spirit. Now, very often we just read over phrases like that. I want to stop there for just a moment. What does that mean? Because Paul's a bright guy. I mean, he doesn't just write this stuff because it sounds like spiritual thing to say. Or, oh, you know, people will be impressed by this phrase. I like it. I'll just throw this in there. He has something very serious in mind. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. What does he mean to pray in the spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit is actually with you and me when we pray. He's actually right there, closer than the air that we breathe. And he's helping us to pray. He's at work to uh, comfort you when you're sad. He's at work to convict you when sin gets a hold of you. He's at work to guide you when you need wisdom. He's at work to love you when you're lonely. Because of this amazing thing that God has done to pour out the Spirit on your life, the Spirit is always there, longing to help. And sometimes we rush right past Him. But when we don't, you know, when you're open and sensitive and listening and responsive to his ministry, that's when you're praying in the Spirit. The Spirit is already there with you when you're open and receptive and sensitive before him. You know, when you breathe out what is 
toxic inside you and you pause to breathe in love and joy and peace and guidance and wisdom and courage, that's when you're praying in the Spirit. And now Paul says that we ought to do this on all occasions. Like this is the miracle of living in the age of the Spirit, which you and I do. And it must never be taken for granted. He says, pray for all the Lord's people because the Spirit is available to all of them. And he says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions. And he's quite serious about that phrase too. Every moment of the day, tomorrow, when you go to work, because you two are a little Bezalel in the Old Testament, God has given you certain gifts and certain abilities and he wants to quicken and enhance and enliven them. He wants you to work in the spirit. So all day throughout the day tomorrow, don't forget to breathe out and breathe in when you're working. When you get confused about a decision, when you get anxious about some meeting, when you get overwhelmed by pressure, God, I breathe out my confusion, I breathe out my worry, I breathe out my fear, just stop and breathe. I pause now, God, to be filled uh, to receive guidance, to receive inspiration or motivation or freedom from worrying. Work with the Spirit. Breathe out, breathe in. You could do that. Sometime tomorrow or the next day, sometime this week, you'll run into a difficult person. <laughs> Got any difficult people in your life? When you see them, breathe on them. <laughs> God, I exhale all the toxic emotions inside of me. My desire to avoid this person or hurt this person or fear this person. My jealousy, my judgmentalism, my apathy, my lack of love. Just take a moment and remember, breathe out and then breathe in. God, I breathe in your love, your love for fallen sinners like me and like my fellow sinner. I breathe in your grace for people who stumble and mess up like me and my fellow stumbler. I breathe in your courage and your inclusiveness and your affection. You can relate in the spirit. Breathe out and breathe in. Well, this is your chance to practice spiritual breathing. So tomorrow and the next day when you get hurried, when you get worried, when you get flustered or frustrated or lonely or afraid or tempted or tired, just remember to stop and breathe. Just remember that the same God who ages ago knelt down with a little lump of clay and breathed into that little lump of clay, the breath of life, that same God who in the person of Jesus Christ descended to earth once more and breathed on his followers who were locked in a room because of fear and filled them with life. That same God is present miraculously, supernaturally before you in the person of the Holy Spirit. And he longs for nothing more than to breathe life into you if you'll let him do it. Breathe out and breathe in. All right, let me pray for you. God, I pray that we would remember that we have breath because of the Spirit, because of Ruah, who is in us. And as we breathe out and as we breathe in this week, let that be a reminder that we can pray this way, that we can breathe out our worry and our fear and whatever is toxic inside of us. And you long to hear those things from us. 
but you also want us to listen, to stop, to listen to you and to breathe in your love and your grace and your mercy and your guidance, your wisdom, your truth. God, would you allow us to have these experiences where we get to pray in the spirit this week? Would you guide us in that? And would you continue to teach us how to walk in the spirit? And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, if you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. Uh, for directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. Uh, and we hope to see you on Sunday soon.